seems like every local in the valley here has a mountain bike. This sport is really exploding. I break the law. I ride an illegal trip. And it's getting away from the cops, the cars, the concrete. Those Abaka is a Chinese down here. Using snowboarders together on a run, you're looking for trouble. You know, they get on skis and they just think they can overcome the world. The more you around, the more you're going to find out. I like to think that death is out of the question. The life starts at 40 miles an hour. You ride the chairlift for two or three weekends and you have to go like climb hills all week just to be even with God, you know? Welcome to Mind the Track with Powbot and Trail Whisperer. Ramblings from the skin track in winter, single track in summer, celebrating the core lords, and fostering the culture of mountain life in the Sierra Nevada and Great Basin. Today is July 31st, and you're 2023. I want to get the year right, because last time I didn't get the year, just in case people listen to this in like 2030. I want them to know what year it is. What what year is it, buddy? (laughs) What year is it? Well, no, I pulled up my notes, and I have, of course, the wrong friggin' notes. We start recording, and I'm on the wrong. It says July 5th. I'm like, I don't think it's July 5th, so I already screwed that up. Anyways, July 31st, the last day of July, 2023, and you're listening to episode number 16 And uh, we're recording today, once again, in Studio TW here on the banks of the Truckee River in Verdi. And by the way, thanks for listening. Help spread the word, will you? Leave mine the track, a rating and review, and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Got feedback or core lord we should chat with? Drop us a line at mindthetrackpodcast at gmail.com, at mindthetrack on Instagram, or just go to our website at mindthetrack.com. Here beside me, as always, is my partner in crime, the professor of pow, the director of the powder intelligence agency in the United Shredders of Snow, the summertime Lombot Powbot. Que paso, trail whisperer. Welcome back. Here Res- we are. Resurrector of lost trails. Yes, indeed. It's been I've ridden two of your resurrected trails in the last like 72 hours. Uh, hell yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. It's my favorite thing to do is to show people uh, all the work that I spend, you know, in the woods. It's a selfish and selfless thing at the same time. That's what I love about trails is, you know, it's selfish because I'm doing it so I can go ride it. But then to be able to share it with friends is well, thank you. pretty awesome. And so that's, you know, spreading the, spreading the joy of trail. Um, it's something that makes me happy and makes other people happy. So it's a worthwhile endeavor. The power of trail compels you. Yeah, totally. And yep. I'm, I'm a believer. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, since, since, hallelujah, since, my since brother. Since I can't shred pow right now, I'm fully <laughs> on board on the bike. Shredding lum, although you had a little bit of a sad face today. We did a quick I, ride I, before I, this recording, and and, you, and Tom had his first sad face e-bike ride. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what that was until it happened. I'm glad it didn't happen on our ride that we just did over over the weekend. Yeah. This, so this is a backyard loop. So yeah, quickie a quickie backyard loop that you had a an error code malfunction on your on your uh, elect. What do you call it? Etron on yeah, your Etron. Etron was like it was like the iPhone sad face. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of the downside of e-bikes. I'm not going to lie. Like there are a lot of great things, but the downside is that because it is motorized, you have motorized yeah, issues. There's just more moving parts. Yeah. And there's motor and a battery and wiring and all that stuff. But so. I made it. We, we, just, we made it. It was like the, you know, just turn it on and off enough times. And <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. Fonzie. It's like rebooting a, a computer that needs a, a whole new, uh, 
operating system. You have to turn it on and off five times just to get three and three things done. But that's all right. We got but, home. Yeah, we did. And we had yeah, we rode some some ripper dusty loamy trail right out the back door here from TW Studio. That's right. That's cool right. to see. And it was so and I'll say it was the old commemorative Amergate trail that we rode. It yes, it, it follows much. it follows, yep, it follows the original path of the emigrants. Sto- historical route. Yep, historical route, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a little bit of history there for you. Because they didn't go up the Truckee River Canyon. They went up around Dog Valley. Dog Valley to Prosser Stampede and, yep. then, and then got stuck. And then, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much at Stampede or uh, just Donner on the Lake. side of Donner Lake. And well, they were split. The Donner Party was split by by that storm, if you know that history. But like a whole bunch of them were camped at at Prosser, where that where the exit, where the little state park thingy is. Yeah. Where the, where the immigrant trail starts there. And then the other half was stuck at Donner Lake. Yeah. Under 50 feet of snow. We should have a historian come on. Kind of like last winter. Yeah. <laughs> we should have a historian come on and talk about that one sometime. That'd be interesting. Well, I love riding sections of the, of the Emigrant Trail. You know, the Emigrant Trail in Truckee is, it's a great sort of cruiser, cruiser ride. Yeah. But that I love that, the, the historical section too, from off of Sugar Bowl. Totally. Down to, down to Oh, uh, that's Cold a good Stream. one. Yeah. That's a really neat section of trail. Yeah, man. Well, so let's get into this. You just mentioned uh, a ride that we did last weekend, and our guest today was with us on that ride. Yeah, was, was out so, there sporting the with the pros. Yeah, with the pros. Exactly. We're the schmoes. But yeah, we were definitely schmoes. <laughs> t- today we have one of the pros. Um, our guest today is a fellow Verdi core lord. Um, you may have heard his name before if you're in the mountain bike world. His name is Marco Osborne also known as Randy. Um, we're going to get into send where, it Randy where that, where the, where, where send it Randy came yeah, from. I want to know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I think I know, but I want to hear it again. Um, but anyway, Marco is a professional mountain biker. He's one of the top, you know, American talents on the enduro circuit. He's traveled the world rides for transition bikes. And, um, it's just an overall great guy. I really like hanging out with Marco. I, I ski with him a lot in the wintertime. He's always game for a backyard adventure and just likes to be out there and having a good time in the woods. So without further ado, Marco, welcome to Mind the Track, buddy. Right on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, stoked to have you. Yeah. We, we're in the presence of a true core lord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Core AF, man. And he likes Toyota trucks, so... We're, we've got all the things in common. Yeah, that's probably why we bonded at such a early time. We're just nerding out on our trucks. Grinding. He's like, <laughs> I, I'll never forget. It was New Year's Eve, I think, uh, or Christmas. It was, I think it was New Year's Eve, and it's dark out, and I was like down by the river, and I'm walking back to the house, and he's got his garage door open and his truck half in, because his garage, his truck can only kind of half fit into his garage. He's got like no driveway. And so he's just like grinding on this uh, front suspension cross member with a grinding wheel. And there's friggin' sparks flying all over the place. I'm like, happy new year. It's like fireworks, you know, like a fireworks show on new year's. And there he is under his truck on new year's Eve, grinding on his truck. I'm like, God, you were like me, man. When I was your age, I was doing the same exact thing. Yeah. Just (laughs) trying to. Yeah, not piss the neighbors off too much, but also just <laughs> trying to just do your thing. And Randy's Chop Shop's got to keep running. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will mention, too, then, that, that Randy's tr- Chop Shop is right around the corner from Kurt's house. You are yet another true neighbor 
of of Trail Whisperer here. Like, how many yeah. people in the neighborhood are we going to have on the show? I mean, there's every every year I discover another core lord living in the neighborhood. There's a lot of core lords living in River Oak. It's pretty cool. You, yeah. yeah, he kind of recruited me as well. I mean, not did he? recruited, but he definitely helped me. You know, get into the rental I'm at now. So rad. Yeah, yeah. It was a house around the corner that had sold and it sat empty for six months. There was nobody moved into it, and it, which is bizarre in our neighborhood. That usually doesn't happen. And so right at, you know, it was summer two years ago, I guess, and, and Marco had mentioned, hey, man, we're, we're getting booted out of our place on Donner Lake. They're selling the house, so we need to move out. If you have any leads, you know, let me know. And so I was like, well, there's a house that's been sitting empty a block over from me. It's, it's, it's not, it's kind of a, you know, crap crap house but like the the location's killer like you're 100 yards from the river and um it's empty and so my buddy jude who's a real estate agent he got me the um the owner's information and i gave it to mark i was like give the guy a call boom and he called the guy and the guy was like well you know i bought it for employee housing because we had this big project going on in reno and the project got delayed by two years so it's yeah it's kind of empty and marco's like well you want me to rent it and he's like yeah i'll rent it i loved hearing that that's that's called shaking the bush yeah and seeing what falls out exactly that's so good it's funny how it worked out like that you never expect that but you know it pays off to kind of dig around and the uh well played you know the real estate agent that kind of helped us set everything up he was like, you know, that's exactly what you got to do. You got to just start doing cold calls because the market is just screwed. And yeah, it was a struggle. So yeah, appreciate the the lead. Yeah, I know it's not the <laughs> nicest of houses, but no. it's a nice location anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Marco's just like, I think, what do you think about Verdi? No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of timid about, you know, moving down towards Reno just because, yeah, I don't really like the bigger suburban sprawls in the bigger cities but you know verde is kind of on the outskirts and as soon as i got here i just kind of realized it's actually a lot quieter than kind of a busy touristy um trucky and just blown up and it's mm-hmm. it's definitely growing now but it's it's awesome it's got the river in your front yard it's got national forests surrounding you um plenty of um activities and backcountry and exploring to do right at your doorstep and just kind of opens up new zones that you know you may get stuck in you know living mm-hmm. in one spot so right. it's definitely um very refreshing to kind of move and just change your perspective on life and where you're living and yeah mm-hmm. it's cool big views and a little bit hotter in the summer but you don't have to really deal with snow removal in the winter so yeah it's a trade-off and yeah so far i'm loving it Cool, man. Well, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Um, another place that, uh, you know, I introduced Marco and, and you too, Tom, too, that we all were all just out at last weekend is yeah, the, let's get into it. the Toyabi Range uh, in central Nevada. Um, it's pretty much dead middle of the state. It's the longest mountain range in Nevada. We've talked about this briefly before, but um, trail project that I've been working on, the, to- the Toyabi Crest Trail. It's a national recreation trail, longest trail in Nevada half in wilderness, half outside of wilderness. And so I've been working on the non-wilderness portion of the trail and getting friends out there. And so last weekend, uh, 
a group of us, including Tom and Marco, were out uh, in the Toyabi and <clears throat> riding bikes. And and you're about to go ahead and <laughs> what's <laughs> This is a Nevada song, bro. You ever hear this? No. Really? <laughs> how could you how could you never hear this? <laughs> I don't know. It depends on how good it is. <laughs> oh, it's, dude, it's the song about Nevada. It's so good. <laughs> well, where's the chorus? It's coming. <laughs> how long do we have to wait? <laughs> Are you sure they're it. from Nevada? Is oh, this yeah. a yeah, I don't hear a, like a cigarette smoker's voice. I think the Killers cover this too. The Killers cover this. I, I think Are you so, sure? Yeah. No, there's some people who cover this. It, it doesn't. Dude, home, home means Nevada, bro. That's I, I. I gotta say, every time I go out to the Tyabis, I feel at home out there. There's just something so genuine about that 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 experience and all the people. And and just that that trail that you've been working on is just a goddamn diamond in the rough. That's cool. all I have to say about it. Like that's it's such a rad experience heading out there every time. Yeah. Like every time I get the call out, I'm like, I you know, I, I tell the wife and it goes on the calendar and I start having to trade shifts at work and I'm like, I'm not gonna miss another ride out there. What do you yeah, so I maybe I'd like to hear from you guys what are your thoughts about the Toyabi and, and about the trail and just like what what do you think makes it like worth going back to? You went there once and then you came back a second time. Why? Uh, so I yeah I was out there twice last year and uh, I, I love it for for me because it 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 seems like that it's like an alpine experience on a mountain bike. It feels like I'm out alpining mm -hmm. on a big snowboard or ski expedition on it's like a full day it's six eight ten hour i don't know how long our day was out there but it was long and just the experience of being above tree line and being in the alpine mm -hmm. is a very unique experience to have on a mountain bike mm -hmm. for that extended period of time like a lot of times you can you know ride sections of trail where you're above tree line for a while but not all day yeah and to me, that's what's so special about that place is that it's a, it's also a wilderness experience the, you're not seeing anybody else. I don't think we've ever seen anybody on that trail ever other than the group that, that I've been with. At least that's my experience three times out there. So it's a, to me, it feels like it's a wilderness experience and it feels like an Alpine experience, just the way that the, the whole experience unfolds. It's long climbs, it's long descents. It's just time sort of slows down for you when you're out there too. Yeah. And the quality of light, like we had some moments where there were clouds moving in and out and like, that's just my favorite thing when I'm in the, when I'm in the Alpine ski touring is that you get these wild experiences of the interact interaction of light and mountains and clouds and sun. And just, it, it just, it's like a hallucinogenic drug in some senses for me. Yeah. And I get that experience every time I go out there on the mountain bike. Nice. So that's why it just keeps pulling at me every time. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a cha and it's a challenging ride. Yeah. For for sure too. You know, it's there's nothing super technical about that trail other than that it's narrow and you you, you feel like you're going to slip off of it a whole a whole bunch Totally. But, uh you know, it's not technical in that sense, but I think that it it's a challenging ride and that you're you're on the bike for a full day. Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah. How, how about you, Marco? What's, what's your take on that trail? Yeah. I mean, 
first time I went to check it out was last year and we did that first loop and um yeah just huge big like long drainages feeding west and you climb up towards the ridge and um once you hit the ridge you kind of doing these you know little descents little climbs it's you're kind of out there for the the experience mm-hmm. of being in the big mountains and exploring kind of it's the, a tour it's a tour the unknown right and it just feels like you're out there. I mean, you are out there, you're in the middle of Nevada, but then all of a sudden you're in this mountain range and it's just so vast and you can go, you know, up on the ridge and you're looking down at each drainage and you're just kind of covering terrain. And it's just a cool experience. Like for me, it's more of like an XC adventure, you know, or e-bike to really cover terrain. Um, You kind of go for the views to kind of soak in just feeling lost and feeling like yeah in the mountains and with your buddies and that's pretty much the only people you're going to see is your your buddies or maybe a a rancher you know someone running uh cattle or sheep but um yeah super fun like definitely really physical and challenging but um it's it's yeah it's just about the views and the experience versus like going to ride like a super technical or like rowdy section. Um, the last descent that we did was just crazy high speed and fast. Um, not a lot of turns, but it was just so fast and it almost gave you a sense where you can kind of peek up and look around a little bit and you're just kind of in awe of these massive, you know, you know, spine ridges and just sagebrush and, um, yeah, just really unique um, just good experience overall. And like where you camp too is all, you go up all these drainages and you drive through the, the arid desert, um, where there's nothing, you know, and you drive up these drainages and it's just, you find life, you find, you know, aspen trees and little creeks full of little trout and moss. And, you know, it's really cool how diverse it is and, um, just shows how, uh, how real and raw the desert really is. And yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I feel that the, the diversity too of, of the terrain is pretty unique there. Like I, I, I froth out on just being up on top of the ridge the whole time, but it is pretty wild how diverse it is from down at camp in the Aspens where there's water and a little Creek. And then there's the sort of a sagebrush zone. And then there's mahogany forest as well out there. And then just this year there was a plethora of wildflowers. Yeah. Oh, like incredible. More yeah. Than I've huge ever, bloom. More than I've seen out there last from the year before. But like there was, I felt that there were sections of trail that were almost soft because the, all the grass and the, and the lupin and yeah. there were all these different flowers that were getting sort of, I don't think too many people have been out there, but from our group, even like some of the flowers were being laid down on the trail and then you were riding on top of what they had laid down. Yeah. And there was like this almost like comfort. Like it felt like you were riding on like a, comforter of wildflowers. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know if you guys experienced that, but I, yeah, yeah I totally. Like, it's, it's, it, it, but it wasn't slippery. It was definitely no. a unique feeling, but it was like the trail was softened a little bit by yeah. all of that vegetation, mm-hmm. which yeah, is really cool. definitely has like a very like high Alpine feel. You know, you get up on that Ridge and you start traversing and then you start descending, but you're really not down in any crazy drainages or, you know, thick timber or anything. You're just, literally just ripping these like huge open hillsides of sage and um you can go 
pretty scary fast on some section, <laughs> you, you know, can. following Fred on that, that first drop, I was like, dude, he should, I hope he hits the brakes a little bit because he's going really fast, but yeah, know. we had a good time ripping that one. Ryan, Ryan Salm, who's a photographer who was there with us, he was taking pictures of us and he came up to me after you guys went by. He's just like, how the hell do they go that fast? How do they do that? I mean, if they crash, they're effed, man. They're totally <laughs> screwed. Like you can't, I mean, I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I mean... I asked that same question about skiers. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell do they ski that fast, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, it, that drop into Kingston, so the descent you guys are talking about, right, is that the descent into Kingston Canyon, Groves Lake, it's a 3,000 vertical foot descent, and it's <clears throat> it's pretty special. It's like the first 1,200 feet, you get these crazy views, top of the world views, Um and, and high speed, but not as steep as the bottom 1,800 feet. The bottom 1,800 feet is just a free fall, like super fast, straight line, only a handful of corners. It's, I think it's 1,800 vert in like 2.3 miles. So, I mean, it's steep. We got going so fast that there were sonic booms. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. There were. <laughs> I I wasn't sure if it was us or if it was like <laughs> the F-16s that were like jockeying for position above us. But uh, it, I did realize it was the, the, the fighter jets. Yeah. So here's a fun fact. Um, the movie Maverick, you know, the sequel to Top Gun, when, they, when, when they're doing the training sequences, you know, when they're training for the big mission in the movie and they're like flying through that canyon and they're all, you know, pitched sideways and trying to like, you know, uh, kind of prepare for the mission overseas all of that was filmed in kingston canyon which is the canyon we were descending which is the canyon we were descending into so it is a regular flight path for the top gun school which is in fallon only about you know well it's 100 miles away but for a jet you can get there in 30 seconds you know <laughs> and they're breaking the sound barrier <laughs> yeah yeah that was pretty wild so i've been out there i like pretty much on the regular i'm out there doing trail work sonic booms are going off it's just like a normal thing so yeah when we were coming down that descent man it just was like pop pop like two right next like back to back you're like holy what crap the, what the hell was people that? shooting at us yeah that's what i thought and then mark's like dude i thought you double flatted or something <laughs> i thought your bike exploded yeah. <laughs> i gotta say one of my favorite quotes favorite quotes from the whole weekend is when we got back when we finished that descent and we got back to the lake i think it was ray's wife Mm. One of the one of the guys that helped us pull the shuttle, but mm-hmm. she said that uh, when you hear yeah, when, when you hear those sounds, that's the that's the sound of freedom. Freedom, yeah, that's the sound of freedom. <laughs> I was yeah. like, that's the most Nevada thing I heard all day. Well, that's yeah. what Mark Weir says when his uh, when his uh, deuce and a half fires up, and it's like this <laughs> yeah. like diesel engine going. He's like, that's the sound of freedom. You know, I think he was driving down the street, and somebody like stopped like stopped him or something. He's like, that thing's not street legal or something like that. And he's like, what? You don't like freedom? This thing is freedom right here. You don't like freedom? If it weren't for one of these, we wouldn't have freedom. So maybe you should just let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll get a little little more freedom too then. I think we should, you jumped ahead to that final descent, but I think one of the unique things about the ride that we did was that you had staged a a lunch stop and we got to descend a really good descent down into into the Washington drainage, which is kind of the ride that we've done now a couple of times. You go up San Juan, you ride the TCT and you descend Washington. And on a pedal bike, 
especially if you do the little extra credit to the top of that pass and back down, that's like pretty, that's a legit ride. It's a full day. It's a crusher. It's a crusher. It's a crusher, especially to descend into Washington to climb back out of it. So we, we descended that and then, uh, Chad and Candace from Battleborn Adventures, we'll give those guys a shout out. They had staged then lunch and had brought some generators and and gladly had set us up to sort of recharge. Yep. Some people plugged in their e-bikes. Some other people had extra batteries. Yep. And we sort of sat in the Aspens and had a nice lunch after a ripping descent yeah. down through Aspen trees and just, a, I, I, that, that descent's cool because it's kind of like an old cow trail, I think. It's an old prospecting trail. It's an old prospecting trail. I mean, it was it was a trail that was originally, I think, built to access the TCT, but it uh, there is there are several old mines up there, so okay. it was originally like I think a mining trail. So that's why it's got a good pitch to it because it it goes kind of straight up, straight down. Well, it starts out flatter and wider, and then as you climb the canyon, it gets narrower and steeper. But and that was a ripping descent, and then we had a great launch and recharged. Mm-hmm. And then there was basically we did two two for one. Yeah, we did two rides in one. We did two rides in one. Yep, we did. And you know, utilizing the e bike. I mean, the e bike is how I've been able to do all this work on the trail because it's really hard to access. And getting I I the first couple of years of working on this trail, I did access this stuff on a mountain bike. But by the time you get up to the work zone, you're smoked, and then you yeah. you have that much less time to work and get trail work done. So. Utilizing the e-bike has been absolutely 100% essential to the, having this project even happen because there's so much trail. There's 40 miles of trail to clear, and it's so remote and difficult to access that you, you have – I mean, it's just – it makes it a lot more efficient. It's a know? different experience <clears throat> now that I've done it three times, twice on a pedal bike and once on an e-bike. Yeah. It seemed to me that the e-bike allowed you to sort of enjoy the experience and sort of soak it all in a little bit more. It makes it more accessible yeah. for more people. Like Mark was saying, you know, you're on your struggle buggy, all you're doing is, you know, staring at your fork tubes. On right. the e-bike, you can actually kind of, you know, look up and enjoy the views yep. and there's nothing but views up there and that's kind of... That's what that know, trail's all about. Yeah, it's full big nevada you know great basin views and um yeah just cool adventure i mean it came through my head that this was the premier e-mountain bike ride in nevada yeah i mean it's for sure it's it's absolutely i mean it's a backcountry what i like about it and you know i wrote it originally in 2016 with a couple of friends um that and it was so overgrown you could barely even stay on the trail like we got lost more than one time and and just shredded head to toe by brush you know it was so overgrown um but like in the wake of it i'm like man this could be like one of the greatest single day epics ever like it's you know like marco said you know it's not like gnar particularly gnarly or anything or you're not going there to like session it and like get rad with your buddies it's more about this like backcountry experience where it's super remote super remote i mean you're a hundred plus miles from any town of any significance and size and you can see for hundreds of miles in every direction you're five thousand at times five thousand vertical feet above the you know the valley floor um and you just get this sense of being very small in a very big world and um it's an experience that's just unique in a way that i've never experienced with any other trail and that's what makes it cool. And yeah, every time I drive out there, man, you just get this feeling like, oh yeah. Cause you know, you're going to get back into like the Canyon, like where we camped in San Juan Canyon, you're not going to see anyone. 
Um, and if you do see someone, they're going to be a local or someone who's been going out there for generations and they're happy to see you. They're like, where are you from? You know, cause they never see anyone out there. Um, so it's a cool experience in that regard, you know, like it's just super remote and the people you do see, there's this shared bond because it's so few people visit it that, you know, it's kind of like this uh, gift we all share. So, <clears throat> yeah. And it's pretty vast. Like you guys are, you know, we're talking about these two drainages that were two or three that we're riding into and down and back up. And I mean, this is it, the range runs, you know, north to south. And so there's probably another you know, 20 to 30 drainages yeah. with old single track on it. So exactly, it's just kind of the beginning of more exploration out there. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of going to keep probably building and, you know, yeah, it's, we did a big ride, but it's only going to probably get bigger. Yeah. I'm really excited. There's, um, so there are a number of canyons. So we camped in San Juan Canyon and we rode, up South San Juan Trail to the Toyabe Crest Trail. We rode the Toyabe Crest Trail northbound about 11 miles and then came down Washington Creek Trail. Um, that's a loop that we like to do. It's like a 22-mile loop with like 3,500 feet of climbing or so. And it gives you a good taste of the Toyabe Crest Trail. You can ride it from Ophir Pass, um, which is at the wilderness boundary all the way to Kingston, um, south to north, and that's about 35 miles with like 6,500 feet of climbing. Um, and it's, you know, there's about an eight mile stretch of it, 10 mile stretch of it. That's pretty overgrown still. We haven't gotten to that part in the southernmost zone, but, um, you know, there's a couple feeder canyons that we're working on like, uh, Mohawk and Marysville canyons, which haven't been cleared yet, but when they are, it'll open up a whole nother loop option. So there's just like all these things that are going to be more accessible for people, you know, um, once we get these, this project done, probably in the next three to five years. Um, but we've had, you know, the weekend before we were out there, we had a volunteer work weekend and we had 15 people show up and um, put in a bunch of work on the trail. And it was, and people, the interest has been awesome. So for people listening, if, if you do have interest in coming out to the Toyabi to help volunteer and work on the trail, um, just drop us a line uh, at mindthetrackpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I'll get back to you. We, we've had a, a volunteer weekend once a month. We're having one in late August, August 25th to the 27th. Probably going to do it in Kingston. Um, so it's a great time. You should come out for those who are interested and get to experience a little bit of remote Nevada. Yeah, come out, camp. The campsites are epic. The camping is amazing. Yeah, campfires. It's so good. There's there's a lot of this going on. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't press your that 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 didn't come off the iPad. That was the real live pop crack. It's 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 good times out there. Yeah, it's a good good to recap on that one. And yeah. I think we'll give a, one more shout out to Battleborn Adventures. They're going to be, uh, I think, doing some guided tours. Of, yeah, so of our experience Chad, more or less. Chad, <clears throat> Chad Kelly and Candace Kelly, they they're full time Kingston residents. Chad and Candace are um, getting uh, Battleborn Adventures off the ground. You can find them at, at Battleborn Adventures on Instagram. Um, Chad's a great guy, man, and Candace, they're an amazing couple. Like just devoted to the community, hard workers, um, and trying to make something happen out there, and very knowledgeable about the area. Um, so if you are going to go out there and you're looking for some beta or for some help, or maybe if you even need like a pickup or a drop off, yeah, they'd be up. happy to help you. 
Um, so hit them up, Chad and Candace Kelly, Battleborn Adventures. Yeah, and after our day, Marco, you guys went and did a big moto ride. Yeah. On on Saturday, the next day. Yeah. There's... Tell, tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, that was awesome. We kind of went to the, the range to the west, the Shoshone, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, got to ride a bunch of cool single track, some double track, and just kind of got to ride up and, you know, through these really diverse drainages, like full on desert to, you know, lush, a lot of aspens going through creeks and just, uh, just really cool, like desert ecosystems in there. And yeah, it's, it was a beat down, like it was a big ride and, um, just challenging. So I would for sure, if you're into riding moto or e-bikes, but the moto for sure is Chad's kind of forte and he'll definitely, um, is able to provide a, you know, awesome loop that'll freaking challenge you for sure yeah yeah it was fun he puts on a memorial day ride in kingston every year um and that was kind of my first introduction to real like backcountry moto riding you know it's like a first year i did it was 150 miles it kicked my ass dude i had (laughs) monkey butt like i've never had in my life um but it was a what's what's monkey butt just a a rash on your ass from yeah the bike seat (laughs) saddle sore yeah, it was, it was. It's moto saddle sore. It is. It's totally different than a bike saddle sore. Yeah, it's it's like all over. It's oh, yeah, it's we were, terrible. We were like, we had to like stand and sit and stand, but like the you're like hauling ass through the desert, and your bike is just vibrating under you. Especially, you know, I was thanks for you know Kevin for letting me borrow his bike. But that little two hundred was vibrating. Like, just you're just like, oh man, my whole chassis is just vibrating. But, <laughs> yeah, it's it's rugged out there, you know, and harsh climate and yeah, it wears on you. So you got to be prepared. Yeah. Well, let's dive into, um, talk about a little bit about Marco. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about where, where you're from. How'd, yeah. how'd you end up in Verdi? So let's start. I <laughs> yeah, think, where'd you come yeah, from? Let's start with, um, cause we're going to come back to the Toyabi here in, in a minute. Um, but let's start with, you know, Tom was talking about this earlier. Tom is big into mentorship. And, um, he's mentored a lot of youth over the years and learned a little bit about like your, your kind of upbringing and mountain biking and talk to us a little bit about how you got into mountain biking and how mentorship played a role in, into you getting into mountain biking as a youth. Yeah. So I grew up in Novato, California. Um, super active, grew up with two brothers and, you know, my dad was super outdoorsy. We'd go backpacking every summer and hunt, you know, hunt, not hunting, but we'd go fishing and, you know, he would, we'd all have bikes and we'd build ramps and we'd skateboard. We'd do pretty much every ex- little extreme sport that you could think of and just run around the neighborhood, um, you know, causing chaos and, you know, mom was yelling at us to get back and whatever. But yeah, I think, it kind of started with, um, you know, my dad was able to, you know, get us kids, us brothers, um, some bikes. And I definitely started, um, skateboarding in like elementary school. And then middle school, I was kind of more into mountain bikes and I had this old, like hand-me-down Gary Fisher. Um, and we just, uh, we'd go out into this little, little hill in our, um, above our house and it was called lizard hill and we'd build like little ladder drops and jumps. And, um, that's kind of when I, I like met Ben Cruz or I like, as I saw him riding, you know, he was riding the big downhill bikes and with the, with the older kids. And, you know, we were just on these like hardtails and these, you know, 
real rough bikes. Um, and then kind of after that, I kind of just maybe put the bike down for a bit and was kind of into high school sports and doing that whole thing. Um, but it wasn't until the end of, um, high school when I was like, yeah, kind of over that, you know, sports and I was hanging out with my buddy, uh, Thomas Ravina and his buddies, like the whole Belmer and Keys crew. And, you know, that's, that's all they did growing up. They were just full on like mountain bike racing from the age of, I don't like 12 or maybe even earlier than that. But I would always look up to them as, you know, they had the nice bikes and they were jumping off the roofs of the middle school. Like they were, <laughs> these guys were pushing it, you know, and I was had the little hardtail and I was like trying to tag along, you know? And so, you know, through the end of high school, I started riding a bit more and, um, kind of found my groove and found a passion for it again. And, um, I was actually riding, you know, Thomas was good friends with Mark Weir and, Thomas had one of Mark Weir's old downhill bikes kind of, he rode it and raced it and it was just sitting in his garage, like in like just a frame. And Thomas was like, dude, like I got this bike, like we should build it up. Like you could ride this thing. And so I was in senior year in high school, I was riding, um, I was riding Weir's old, uh, custom nomad that he won Downeyville on. Um, oh, wow. Oh, nice. And, uh, after high school, I moved up to South Lake Tahoe and worked at, um, Sierra Tahoe as a lifty and went to community college, um, lived with, uh, Sean Curtis, um, and, uh, my brother Nelson and just kind of lived that mountain lifestyle and just loved snowboarding. And, you know, summer came around and I moved back to Novato and, um, you know, Sean definitely like, you know, we would ride a bunch in that spring and, you know, I moved to Novato and he was still up there, but then I was just like, you know, that was my kind of fix again. I wasn't snowboarding, but I was, you know, now I was mountain biking. And that next year I rode a bunch and started to do some races with the Ravinas. Like they were sponsored by Marin and I would pretty much tag along with them. And, you know, like their, his parents, uh, Bill and Renata were just, just open doors. Like I was one of, you know, they were always like, you're one of us, you know, Mm -hmm. like they were, they were the big reason why, like I had the opportunity as, you know, to kind of, you know, get my feet wet and just be able to tag along and just see this whole side of what mountain biking racing was. And it was awesome. We'd go and camp and race. And so the following year, and what kind um, of racing were you starting off with? So DH this was, or XC? this was uh DH. Like I did a couple like downhill races with mm-hmm. their like loner bikes. And then I would race, um, like it was super D super D and downhill, like Enduro wasn't even a thing yet. So Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was doing the super D races and I was racing expert. And then the next year, um, I was still on that old, um, Santa Cruz, like custom weir bike and it ended up cracking. <laughs> and so I, I was going to college of Marin and taking welding class at that point. And, you know, Thomas was like, Oh, we should take it to the welding teacher. And so the welding, Thomas actually tried to TIG weld it and he blew a hole it's aluminum that's hard to yeah no it was like thin too and so the teacher was he's super awesome and he comes up and just polishes that thing up like fills the hole and just makes a dial so that bike kept going oh wow yeah how long did you ride mark weir's old nomad for i think it was at least yeah two seasons yeah (laughs) what did you end up doing with that thing after you were done with it 
so I parted it and gave it back to Thomas. And then Mark, um, Mark was like, Thomas, you got to give me that bike. Give me that thing back. So Mark, Mark, she has it. In, he still on has his, it. Yeah, he's it's, got it. He's in his got garage it as a wall ceiling. Yeah. It's a wall hanger. It's in his oh, garage sick. ceiling in uh, in Nevada. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So you know, Thomas was good buddies with with Weir. At least like uh, Weir like mentored like pretty much all the kids in Nevada. So Thomas and Chris Ravina were like going over to Weir's house, you know, while they were racing and and uh riding their pump track and you know riding you know enduro or whatever riding uh trails with them and that's how i got introduced to weir is um in high school the pump track the pump track yeah i've heard a lot of stories about his yeah it just like kind of pulls the community in and all these young kids that Mm -hmm. um you know want to ride and you know the local pro is he's got this pump track and Mm -hmm. You know, there's stories of Ben Cruz jumping the fence, you know, before he even knew Mark and, you know, getting caught. And Mark was just like, who are you? Like, you got to dig. You can't just ride like, you know, and Ben was just like, why not? You know, like, like there's some pretty cool stories about the pump track. But, um, yeah, so the Ravinas got me, you know, we'd go ride Weir's pump track. And then, you know, the following, I think it was the following year after I got, um, back from Tahoe living up there, I was, you know, starting to race again. And we were doing some CCCX, um, super D races down in Monterey, which is pretty much like the local, you know, Bay area, old school, super D. Yeah. Toro park, right? Yeah. Free enduro. Yeah. Um, and I went down there with, uh, with Weir and Ben and Kyle Warner and Weir, you know, and, and I think we were one, uh, Ben got second and I ended up getting third. How old were you? Uh, I was, I think it was 19 or 20. Okay. Yeah. And so I think they, they might, you know, they probably saw something in me. They're like, oh, he beat Kyle and Kyle's got like sponsors and Marco's on this, like, you know, he he's, started he's wearing hands. tube socks and, you know, <laughs> swim trunks and he's in like this. It's on a bike that was welded by a shop teacher. Yeah. Like he's. <laughs> He's just kind of really roughing it, but he's, I guess they saw something in me, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so the couple days after that race, um, Ben is like texting me. He's like, Hey, come over to Mark's. Like, we got something for you. And walk into the garage and Ben's, uh, working on this bike and it's, it's on the stand. And he's like, uh, Hey man, like, this bike is yours, man. Like you're on our, you're on our team now. You know, I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, this bike's yours, dude. You're, you're with us now. And he had like a pile of like his old jerseys and, you know, stinky shorts or whatever. <laughs> you like, had to wear Ben Cruz's old wear clothes. Ben, Mark's on. old stuff. And, like, never mind. I'll be a private. Yeah. Here's, here's an old pair. Of, <laughs> here's an old pair of chamois kid. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Ben's like, yeah, dude, it's, it's not me. It's, it's that it's Mark, dude. And Mark was out in the backyard, we whacking the pump track. And I just go out there and give him a huge hug and was like, you know, thank you. Like, this is huge. Like, you know, cause I was mm-hmm. like, I was, you know, riding with the Ravina boys and they were sponsored by Marin. And then the guy at Marin was like, oh yeah, we can get Marco on the team and you know, we can, we can probably do this, but nothing happened. And Mark was like, you know, I don't know, maybe who's just like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, 
I feel bad for this kid. Like, you know, people are like leading him on. Yeah, Yeah. blowing smoke. And he's like, no, let's give him, you know, one of one of our bikes and see what happens. And yeah, so I had one of Mark's bikes from the year before and um, it was like a Cannondale Jekyll 26 inch. Nice uh, 36 on it. Um, and no, um, le- no lefty. No, this was pre lefty. Um, this was 2013. And so I, I raced on it pretty much that whole season, 2013 as like kind of grassroots WTB rider, you know, mm-hmm. and I would destroy so many parts and I'd pretty much just be like, Mark, I broke this. I need more tires. And then he got pretty much was like, dude, I don't have any more. You got to talk to Jason Moshler. Like you got to you know our out. other teammate, Jason. He's like, yeah, I'm tapped out. Like you're, you're into Jason stock now. So I got shuffled to Jason. <laughs> and so, you know, and then, you know, just being able to ride with him. And before I even got the bike, I got to ride with Mark at the ranch, you know, where he trained. Yeah. And, it was so humbling. I remember like trying to ride this little rut. It's like these little tire ruts. And I just like, couldn't even ride the rut. And he was just kind of like, we stopped and kind of sessioned it. Cause I think I fell or something. And you know, he just, yeah. Kind of like talked us through how to like, you know, commit to the rut and yeah. So it was like huge mentor, but also just like opportunity. Like if, yeah, if, mm-hmm. if he didn't like, Mentored in your sport and in your life. Oh, huge. Like if he didn't like somehow just like out of, I don't know, out of his heart where he was just like, oh, we should give him a bike. Like if he didn't say that, like I wouldn't be here right now, you know, like, like he pretty much started my, like my whole career, you know? Yeah. And it's pretty crazy too. It's like, if I didn't live in Novato, like, of course I wouldn't have, you know, been a mountain biker because I wouldn't have met him you know yeah the ravina boys and then i started riding with ben and ben was just so fit and just super aggressive on the bike and just like almost territorial about the trails and like to ride with him and it was like full on and like so you had to like really like i was like shit well i got the i got the bike i'm kind of riding with them now so i gotta like step it up yeah and i think i i didn't quite have enough skill yet i i had more balls you know mm-hmm. so i would like i'd blow up i'd be good at going really fast but then i wouldn't be able to control it so i would just like explode and the trails in nevada are are pretty wild like they're real high speed um pretty steep and loose not much you know trail work going on more just like a rut like off camber ruts and mm-hmm kind of really teaches you how to ride your bike and be have finesse mm-hmm. and control. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, huge, huge influence and, um, driving force of starting my career. And then, so after that 2013 year, um, I, you know, I started, I was doing pretty well that summer winning races and, you know, Squaw Valley and some local North star stuff and the local enduro scenes in Oregon and California. Um, and so Mark put in a good word to Cannondale and he literally, he like negotiated my first contract. Like he's the one who got me mm-hmm. in with Cannondale. And so I was like, this is crazy. You know, I'm teammates now with Ben Cruz and, and Mark Weir and Jason Moshler and, and Jerome Clements, you know, it's like, yeah, this is serious. You know, it wasn't like a big contract, but it was a starting point with an established team and, you yeah. know, like heavy hitters in the industry and, 
yeah, just crazy opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I know Tom is always into that kind of stuff, like helping bring kids up, you know, it's a, it's such a bridge in extreme sports. Like you have to have someone that sort of, it's really common in, in a lot of sports, whitewater rafting, skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, climbing, alpinism like it's just that having someone like sort of help guide you Mm -hmm. through your early years and and really show you a a solid path just in the sport but also in life and and it's 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 instrumental in so many professional athletes lives so yeah i'm i'm you know i didn't have kids i don't know does does mark have kids yeah he's got he's got got a son okay like i didn't have kids so like me by me mentoring i i coached uh, com- competitive snowboarders in both Telluride and Jackson Hole for like the the local teams there for the junior high and high school kids. And then when I moved out to Tahoe, I just sort of, you know, my main sport was backcountry slipboarding, and I just started mentoring, you know, young uh, younger riders uh, because that's the pathway. Like, there's just it's just hard to learn yeah. that kind of stuff without having someone sort of show you the ropes. And, uh, it's been super rewarding to me and I, I get to surround myself with younger riders and shredders and it keeps me motivated. Yeah. It's, and it's, I, I saw that with Mark, even this last weekend, he had a, you know, a younger rider with him. Yeah. That, he's got Duncan his, yeah, his little, got, uh, you know, adopted son. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I, it's, it really, so it was, it was interesting. Like I pay, I'm paid notice to that. And like, it, it's, it was very similar to what I've been doing the last 10 years of my yeah. life where I've been surrounding myself with the younger riders and they help break trail now for me and mm-hmm. keep, keep me in the game. And it's just rewarding to have that like sort of download of knowledge from, from me to them. And then to also, it's super rewarding to see where they take it. And I think that's what Mark has experienced with you as well, that like you've, you've learned some from him, but then you've also applied it and taken it in another, in other yeah. directions. And that's just really cool to see our sports progress in that, in that way. Yeah. 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 yeah it's like, I think the way he, kind of was like you mean he's like i gotta pass the torch at some point yep. you know like i want he's like you being you seeing you out there on the you know enduro world cup like it's like a part of me it's a part of our community and he's like that fires yep. us up and that helps represent our whole crew and everyone so. exactly the you know the older riders we really help keep the flame alive yeah but we do pass the torch yeah. And that's just a, it's just a great thing in our, in, in the sports that we all love to do. And I love seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love seeing it. And I love, I'd like to foster it more. So that's why I love, I, I just want to talk about it on this podcast a little bit because it's a, it's an integral part of, uh, of, of learning the sports that we do because you just don't go do it. Yeah. Someone, right. someone has to help you along the way a little bit. Yeah. And they're, no one's telling them to do it and they're doing it out of their heart or out of their, yep. you know, or I somebody think, showed them. Yeah. 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 Someone's, and then it's just sort of organic the way mm-hmm. that that happens. Like it's, I don't even think that I like consciously thought about it when I started, when I mentored Tucker Adams, which was my first one in Truckee more than 10 years ago. And he's gone on to be a, a really prolific, amazing photographer, uh, in the snowboard world. But you know, it, I just, it just sort of happened organically. Mm-hmm. And I think you just sort of trust your gut on that. And, you know, I, I hope you're going to be, yeah. you know, showing the ropes to the next kid that you meet, maybe here in Reno. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you're meeting younger riders and you're, you know, you're an inspiration to a lot of younger riders. Yeah. People, a lot of young kids walking around with send it Randy yeah. t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I'm glad you brought that up. So did that, did that like all, when you told your little, yeah, you know, uh, historical context of where you came from, like all the, all the parts and rims that you were breaking and, 
and uh, and and parts that you were breaking. Is that where Send It Randy came from? Did we no, <laughs> who not really? Who, who no. coined you? Who coined you, Randy? So it it definitely happened. Like it was, I think it was 2015. My buddy uh, Vinny Sebastiano. He was he's a veteran in the, in the army, and I you know grew up with him since middle school, and he was going through some some tough times. He just got back from um, I think his second tour, and. In Afghanistan, he, probably in, in yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And he was going through some tough times, and he was uh, living on my couch, and he's like, all right, well, what are we doing today? I'm like, well, I got a train, and, you know, we would just go out into the woods, and, you know, you know, we'd, we'd ride, we'd, we'd dig trail, and um, we'd just hang out and shoot the shit. And he was like, he's a character. Like, he's fired up Italian, and, like, he is, <laughs> he is funny. I like, like him already. Yeah, he is, like he is on it. You're like, sometimes it's a little too much, but then other times you're just like, he's a heart of gold and just, you know, the life of the party. Um, but yeah, you'd be like watching trailer park boys and, you know, then we go out into the woods and we'd just be like, you know, name, you know, just like giving each other nicknames and just banter, like trail banter, you know? And then all of a sudden the, it just send it Randy kind of, kind of organically started. And then Mark started saying it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was like, maybe I hashtagged it or, you know, we were saying it a bunch. And then all of a sudden, like Matt DeLorem and Sven Martin, who are professional photographers on the Enduro World Cup, like I was in like Chile ripping a stage and they'd be like, come on, Randy. Like, <laughs> started and they, calling you oh, Randy. yeah, they were like yelling it at, you know, a <laughs> long time ago, you know, like eight years ago on track. And it just one of these things that just kind of snowballed like year after year. And I was like, well, I, I you got to live with it. Yeah. It's like, I definitely didn't plan for it, but it's just one of those things that, like you said, just organically happens and you just got to run with it and embrace it and just kind of let it evolve. And that's kind of what happened for probably four or five years, just kind of let it kind of evolve. And then I was like, all right, well, let's make some stickers and, you know, let's, it all starts with a sticker. <laughs> yeah. He's got a clothing brand. <laughs> yeah. Now. Oh, I know. That's dude. He was wearing last weekend. Head to Marco toe. Marco was wearing this rad camo long sleeve long pant. Send it, Randy. Get up, man. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So like like I was saying, like started with stickers and I had some basic T-shirts, and then um, this last year I was kind of struggled to find a clothing partner. Um, that was kind of the right fit and would kind of support me in the way I felt like I deserved. Um, and I had a bunch of offers on the table and I just, none of them seemed right. And I was just like, you know what? I think it's time I take this to the next level. And if I'm not going to be able to maybe get paid from a brand, like maybe I can start my own brand that I already have, like the brand's there. Mm -hmm. Like what if I, you know, I just ride for myself and I build my own brand and, you know, and, I just kind of went for it. I sent it, you know, <laughs> and in January I was like, all right, let's try to get some samples. And I got super lucky, um, through my girlfriend's brother, brother Cody. Um, they run, a a little, you know, kind of startup business called tire fire with a couple of his buddies and they make fenders and some pants and just some mountain bike gear and, he was like, oh, yeah, this is the guy who makes my pants, and you should hit him up. He's in Pakistan, and he'll pretty much, you know, he will he can probably make similar pants. So 
I started getting some samples and then he was like, Oh, I can do whatever you want. And so I got my samples and I was like, well, this is, this works. Like I'm happy with this. Like, cause I, I literally had two months before two and a half months before the, the first world cup and I didn't have a clothing sponsor. So I was like, I'm doing this. I'm riding. I'm going to be, you know, have send it Randy on my chest, you know, like I'm That's doing so this. Rad. So you showed up with send it Randy for the first, first world for cup. The first yeah. Enduro and, world I, cup. and people oh, are like, Whoa, that's your title sponsor. And I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, this is, this is me, you know, this is my brand. This is this good. Is Randy. On and that's what good strong move. Yeah. And so that was just kind of a black kit with the black pants and black shorts with the little camo knees, which I kind of, piggybacked a little bit from the uh tire fire guys i changed a bunch of things as well like thinner material and belt loops and some vents um but then i was like well i can't just you know race in black all summer so then i started designing back and forth um um my current kits that i have now like a camo gray to kind of match my transition spire and then this like wild kind of um desert style camo that i was like well it'd be cool if i could archery hunt and i could go to a bike race within the same like 10 days (laughs) you know and just do both of these activities the two things that i'm just love and just hooked on and just kind of yeah just have a have some clothing that i'm fired up on and works for me and that other people can get their hands on and be like, all right, this isn't just a sticker. This is more of a sticker. This is actually clothing brand. And, um, cool. Just kind of went for it and I've got so much to learn, but I'm really, really just happy at how far it's come in the last six months. I'm super lucky, um, to be able to like, just make it happen, start a website and start selling, um, some mountain bike gear. So give it a shout out. So it's senditrandy.com. Yep. You had the URL was available. Senditrandy.com was available. Yeah, so I I bought the domain a while ago, but it, I don't I don't think I like renewed it. Okay, but yeah, cool. Senditrandy.com. And is there an Insta too? Yep. Yeah. yeah. He has a great launch video. Uh, they he, he spent a day filming in Verdi. I saw. I watched like, it today. Rad trails, and then you were also it, archery. It weren't you shooting archery too in the same video? We're, yep. Yeah, we're doing some awesome. target practice and <laughs> just showing that it's it's more than it, just mountain biking. Yeah, I mean, like you can go fishing or you know hang out at the campfire or whatever. Just not just mountain bike gear, but I want you to you know feel comfortable in it and whatever you're doing and. um yeah, it's fun. Hopefully I can wear it um, archery hunting this year and hopefully get a buck. Psst. Hey, you. Yeah, you across the garage. The guy who never uses me. I've been hanging in the rafters for years. My top sheet's buried in dust. My rails are rusty. I haven't seen wax since I was new. You're always grabbing that shiny new board next to me. I want a new owner, man. You're lame. Am I hallucinating? No. This is your old split board speaking. I'm sorry, you're right, but I hate selling stuff online. Nothing but scammers or thieves will come by to the house, case the joint, and rob me. Well, maybe if you got robbed, I'd get a new home. There's a better way to buy, sell, and rent used outdoor gear. Sendy, a new peer-to-peer online marketplace backed by Cam Zink and Travis Rice. Built by athletes for athletes, Sendy is committed to providing the outdoor community with a high-quality hub for high-quality gear. 
Sendy provides a safe platform for buying, selling, and renting, making sketchy meetups with shady characters and seedy parking lots a thing of the past. Sendy uses integrated and discounted UPS rates, QR codes, and print-ready labels, shipping anywhere in the U.S., with Canada coming soon. Download the app today for free at the Apple Store, Google Play, or visit sendy.io. Buy it, sell it, rent it, and send it with Sendy, charter partner of Mind the Track. Now, back to the show. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk, let's dive into that for a little bit. So I think what's, uh, uh, for me, the most interesting um, kind of recent development in your life is that you've picked up uh, hunting, and it's something you never did before until the last couple of years. Um, talk to us a little bit about how and why you got into hunting and how it relates and, and how you, you like it so far. Yeah. So in 2021, I had this weird, uh, like nerve injury where it kind of stemmed from some like wrist trauma after a wrist, uh, surgery. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of a mystery injury and I couldn't ride. So I was, I was literally just in this weird, like overwhelming, like nerve pain and all these MRIs, nothing, no like red flags. And as far as like structural issues, so it's basically just like, you got to like, let this ride and just focus on physical therapy and just like, let the body reset. And so I was going to, um, all the local enduro races. I was like, dude, I don't want to like, I got to do something. I can't just, um, just be on the couch. You know, I, I have all these obligations and all these sponsors. And so I was like, man, maybe if, if I start making some, um, just videos at the races, like I could help kind of give back to the local scene and also, you know, produce some content. And, mm -hmm. um, it was awesome. I just kind of do a little like media, like recaps of the event and start interviewing people and like trail side heckling and, Everyone was just fired up on it, you know? And so I pretty much did that the entire year. And on one of the, um, trips out to Montana, um, to the big sky enduro, um, big mountain, I went on a, a fishing trip with my dad and met up with my brother who, um, who lives out in Montana and he's, you know, been a hunter for the last, you know, 15 years, almost 20 years now. And, um, we just, I don't know, we were just out in the backcountry and um, fishing, and I just felt like, you know, it was the year for it. I was like, after that trip, I came home, and I was like, all right, I'm getting my license, or I'm, I'm getting a rifle, and I'm, I'm going to hunt. I'm going to get some tags, and I'm going to do it. Because, you know, growing up, as right as I, you know, started mountain biking, like, both my brothers, and mostly my older brother, um, was fired up on hunting. That's literally, like, that's what he, he loved and did. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they would always kind of push me like, dude, like you got to come hunting with us. And, you know, I was always like, no, I'm busy. I got to, you know, ride my bike. I got to race, you know, cause that's kind of like, it's kind of the same season, you know, you know, September into October. And so for some reason, I just never, I never got into it and never kind of followed their lead. And I was just so focused on mountain biking and just, addicted to it and just frothing and just like, you know, building my career and just loving it. Um, but being sidelined, I was like, man, I think, you know, I gotta, if, if I can't ride a bike right now, or if I can't ever ride a bike, if I'm out in the mountains, like 
that's hmm. that's where I f- find peace or what that's that's where I'm happy. Yeah. Like if I'm be able to spend time in the mountains and fish or just go camp, um, I'm happy. Like I could live life. You know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. I can. I can. Uh, you know, give up one thing and you know embrace another. And, yeah, embrace another because that's kind of why I got hooked on mountain biking in the first place. Is like, you know, the adventure. Like you can cover ground and you can go into these backcountry locations and go up to the top of this mountain and rip down and see how fast you can get to the bottom, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, growing up, my dad would take us backpacking and, you know, we would see, we'd, we'd do some gnarly stuff. Like we would go off trail and he'd drag us around to these Alpine lakes and we'd catch fish and there's no trails or, you know, there's, there's no service and we'd be out there for, you know, six days at a time. And he, he taught us adventure, you know? Mm -hmm. And, so I was like, well, if I can go backpacking again, cause I always, you know, love backpacking, but I never really did it much when I was uh, mountain bike racing. So cool. I can, I can have a tag in my pocket. I can be hunting, but I'm backpacking. I'm hiking through the mountains. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like you're still on a trail. Yeah. It's like you're in your spot, you're in your element. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with it. That, um, that first season I got a rifle and, um, found some success in California with a little buck and then went to Montana and hunted with my brother and his wife, Wesley. And, uh, just, I just had like a doe tag, but they, they're residents in Montana. So they, you know, they get tags for 15 bucks. And so, um, yeah, I got to experience that and we got to chase elk and, you know, it was a successful trip. Like my brother got an elk, Wesley got a nice five point bull and I got my little doe and, you know, and then you come home with, with all this meat and, you know, high, high quality protein. And, um, that year I kind of had to, you know, with the injury, I kind of, you know, had to really take everything serious. Like I quit drinking. I really focused on my diet and a big thing that, you know, you know, it's high quality protein and, you know, game meat. It's the best thing. Mm -hmm. If you're going to eat meat, like, you know, well, I eat the best meat and as far yeah. as for an athlete. So I was really drawn to that. And I mean, I've always had meat for my brother and it was just like, you eat some of it and you feel like you're, you're juiced up, you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's real, real deal. It, it's you real. You feel the yep. real vitamins, minerals and yep. high quality protein. And, um, so yeah, ever since that first season, I've just been, um, hooked on it. So, yeah. I had a, I had one of Marco's, uh, he had bagged a bear and he had some bear grease pellets. <laughs> yeah. Holy moly. Oh, I remember dude. you were telling me about that. Oh they were God. like little energy balls. You, but you bit into it and you, your whole body just, you felt this sensation, right? And it was a cold day, you know, it was in the winter. We were backcountry skiing and it was like this instant warm, just like rush of energy throughout your entire body. I mean, it was so rich. I was yeah. like, whoa. And he's like, you want another? I was like, no, I think I'm good. Like, I just needed one of those. Oh, yeah. Like, it's they're... pure, like, fat, like, slow-burning energy. That's, yeah. Those are called cracklins. So, like, with a bear, if you get a big bear, it has a lot of fat on it. Uh-huh. And so the bear I got had tons of fat. So you render it down, and you use the, you know, the, the rendered down lard. You know, you use that for cooking oil. And then mm-hmm. leftover is the cracklins. Mm-hmm. And so you just eat those. And I would... Yeah, I had a bunch of bags of those and we would just, we'd be split boarding and, um, 
we'd just be yeah we bear bear. it was weird yeah, I was and you're like, probably we, harnessing some bear energy too it's like 12 that. hour energy not well, five it was hour also energy. yeah we were like on a split board with like a crew that i didn't really even know everyone and i was just like hey you guys want some bear fat and they're like huh what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it kurt's probably yeah. like first i'll take some heck yeah. Well, yeah is that the bear that you stalked into that like that that tunnel of manzanita for weeks yeah that was a crazy story you had stalked in a bear for weeks right yeah i was i was on a wild bear chase you could say yeah i got pretty uh got pretty raw and real yeah yeah Clim- it- climbing through bear tunnels chasing blood um yeah some people say they don't do that but I was just like frothing. That was my first year ever hunting. So I was like, oh, I got to go. Yeah. So you, were you probably doing things you probably shouldn't have been doing because you were new to it? Maybe. Well, I don't know about not doing, but like. I don't know. He got a bear. Yeah. Like you definitely. But he put himself at risk though, right? Maybe it, a little bit. Yeah. Like I was ready, but like you don't really want to. Like if you hit a bear and it's not dead yet or like it's wounded and you're crawling through these bear tunnels that are six feet tall and you're literally on your hands and knees crawling with a rifle like chasing blood like if you back that thing into a den or something like he could lash out and attack you so Mm -hmm. yeah i told that story to a few experienced hunters and they're like yeah that was kind of stupid but Mm -hmm. you live and you learn and um Yeah. yeah it's just so humbling like you know the struggle to put food on the table if all we did was hunting like it's right so difficult and like yeah my brother's like, you're going to, if you like a challenge, you're going to like hunting, you know, like if yeah. you, and you like spending time in the mountains and, you know, hiking and crossing over big ridges and exploring new terrain. It's like, it's awesome, you know, and watching for wildlife and trying to, you know, feed your friends and family. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's real and it's, it's fun. It's addicting. And, and you, so when did you get into archery? Cause you started with a rifle, but then right after, did you get an archery set up right after that or? So I got an archery set up, uh, about a year or probably, uh, about eight months or so after, you know, I started initially hunting. So basically I was planning to archery hunt the, uh, the next season, my second season, um, hunting. And as a new Nevada resident, I kind of, you know, was like, wow, Nevada is very well known for, you know, prestigious hunting and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like kind of a trophy state and, oppor- you know, if you can get a tag, it's... You're in a good spot. Yeah, for it. you're going to be seeing animals. It's it's a, it's a very hard uh, state to draw a tag in. So when you do get one, it's a pretty good opportunity and amazing experience. So, and I knew that. So I, I realized I was like, People told me, they're like, well, if, you know, it could take five to 10 years or whatever, five years to draw a rifle tag um, in Nevada. So, but if you want to do archery, you could probably get a tag almost every year. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, sweet, let's try that. So the archery season's um, a lot earlier than kind of rifle. And so that's in, um, that's coming up. That's in uh, yeah. next week. So that's August 10th to September. Um, there's, they call it like a, you know, early in for western big game it's like in you know early early season hunt and so you get to go chase mule deer and um when they're still in velvet um so yeah what does that mean uh so velvet is um when their antlers are um 
they're still growing. They're not hard, right? Right. They, they're kind of like, they have like a fur around it, yep. you know? Yep. Um, and so kind of during that hunting um, archery season in August to September, they'll they'll start shedding that velvet and they'll go to like hard horns. And it's weird. It's like, it's almost like they bleed when they peel it off. It's like a mm-hmm. They mold like, it like mold. It's like a mold. Yeah, thing. it's like part of it. And so every year the, the deer are growing antlers, you know? And so the velvet is, that's what, you know, that's how they grow it. And, and then they shed it. And uh, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So when you, you see a, a velvet buck, you know that it's, you know, if you see one at your buddy's place or whatever, mm-hmm. it's, it's an archery buck. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so have you gotten a, a buck yet with the bow? No. So last year was my first, um, season hunting with the bow. Um, and so I got a tag out in the Toyabi because, um, you know, I think two years before this, Kurt was telling me about the, this trail he's been building. And I was always like, that sounds cool. Like there's bike trails out there. And now that I'm going to try to hunt like i want to put in for that zone because that means i get to go explore there you know mm, yeah and that, for me just the whole aspect of mountain biking like exploring new places and riding new trails like that's what keeps me fired up so like with hunting it's like it's a it's like an adventure tag you get this tag and you're like maybe you've never been there but it's like full adventure you know mm-hmm. and so that's kind of why i started putting in for the toyabi and sure enough i got that tag which I could have been, you know, four other places, you know? So I got that tag and was all fired up and yeah, realized that, uh, archery hunting is next level. You know, it is the most challenging thing that I've ever done in my life. And, uh, it just teaches you a lot, you know, teaches you to be patient. It, you know, you got to work really hard and be okay with, you know, failure, you know, you're Mm going to fail. Like, uh, the first hunt I went out with, uh, Jeremiah Newman, which is a good buddy that, uh, used to work at WTB and I, you know, I used to race with him and he got brought up by Jason Moshler. So, um, he's in a big hunting family in, in Nevada city. And so he's got so much knowledge and I was fired up to invite him and he, he wanted to come and he was like, we got into the car and he's like, I think he said something like, are you ready to get humbled? Or he said something like <laughs> it is the most like challenging thing. He's like, I've archery hunted for seven years and I've never got anything. Yeah. That's the story. I always hear about it. So, yeah. So I, I was just out there. I did a couple trips. Uh, I did one trip with Jeremiah. I did another with a buddy, but then what um, part of the range were you in? Um, a little further South than where we were a little bit like near the, the wilderness. Yeah. On the East side or the West side? Uh, West side. Okay. But I mean, so like col- deer. Col- Columbine campground, did you start from over there? Yeah, that's where I started. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a good amount of hunters out there, but I think the more you hiked into the wilderness and try to separate yourself, uh, yeah, the kind of the better, you better chances you have, but yeah, just being out there by yourself on a couple trips, just like, I would just go up to the top and set up a little base camp and you wake up at sunrise and, you know, try to find deer and Nevada's wild. There's, there's a good amount of deer if you're in the right spot. And, you know, some of these days I would deer would like, you know, almost walk up to my tent or like, you know, into my camp and then, you know, they'd get within 50 yards and then just bounce and catch me off guard. And I'd be like, Oh man, you know, and then 
you'd see a couple deer at like a thousand yards and you got to watch for them to bed down, you know, yeah. and then, you know, cause it's more spot and stock style hunting in Nevada. Yeah, so you're doing the similar to similar as rifle hunting with a bow then in Nevada. You're like, you're scoping. Yeah. So you're, you're spending a lot of time, uh, glassing. With, with, with glass. Oh yeah. yeah. That's, and you gotta, you know, you find them early in the morning or in the evening, but ideally early in the morning and then you in the, in the day, they bed down cause it's hot. So they'll find a, a bed in the shade. So, um, yeah, you got to pretty much, you got to put a buck to bed. You got to wait for him to bed and then you got to give it some time because they're going to want to, um, they'll move beds, you know, cause the, the sun angle's changing and you know, they got to find their shade and they, you know, got to get settled in. Um, and so then you got to literally watch this deer that's bedded and then you got to maybe around noon or when you think the time is right, you got to put in a stock and you got to get the wind right. And then you got to, you see, you see the buck bedded way over there in your binos and you got to plan your stock, which means you got to, you know, get above them, you know, get the wind right, which means dropping down drainage, you know, like it's physical, you know, yeah, a Just, lot of off trail scrambling. Yeah. A lot of we, off camber. And that's wild. When you say get the wind right, what do you mean? So, you know, the, Mule deer, their their best sense is I'm pretty sure it's smell and and hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting the wind right, which means if, if they can smell you from freaking hundreds of yards away, if the wind's blowing right at them, you know. Right. So with for archery, you've got to get really close to this animal, you know, twenty to fifty, maybe sixty yards if you're a good shot. Wow. Some people will take longer shots, but um, ideally you want to get within 30 to, you know, 50 yards undetected wow. with the wind, right. And so you got to, you know, you got to know where the thermals are because the, the wind will shift, you know, um, in the morning and the day they'll go, they'll be going downhill. Then they'll be coming up in the kind of the afternoon. They'll start coming up, but then they, they're also always swirling. So it's, there's so many factors that you have to get right. Um, where it's just this like chess game and it's just so challenging. And usually you're just kind of out there by yourself doing it. And it just yeah. feels so primal. Like the first couple of times I was like, just leaving your camp to go like to go, uh, chase a buck or like, you know, to go stalk in on a buck. You're just like so amped and you're not even like, you don't even have an arrow knocked. You're not even close to the buck, but you're just like, this is, this is the next step of the process, you know, and it's just, it's just really fun. And I got totally humbled. Um, I got a bunch of opportunities. You get, have you taken a shot yet? Yeah. I took a couple of shots, um, kind of longer shots where like I got into a good stock and I was just kind of waiting and the bucks were, there was like a group of bucks at like uh, 40 yards and then the wind swirled and then all of a sudden they jumped up and, you know, they're all alert. And then they, you know, they ran to like 60, 70 yards that I guessed. And then, so yeah, I let one fly, but didn't, didn't hit one that time, but it's just, everything has to go perfect, you know? And so, yeah, with all those stocks and just like each one, you feel like more confidence and you just learn a little bit more. Yeah. Um, what's a group of bucks called? Uh, my, my buddy was telling me something about this. Like they, 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 they hang out. 
Uh, bachelors. Yes, yeah. they're bachelors, dude. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like a bachelor party. Yeah, mm-hmm. bachelor group. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's tough and just super ninja. What kind of yeah. shoes are you wearing? So once you get in within maybe two hundred yards, you take your your boots off. And you're you, you're going barefoot. No, you just like put on an extra pair of socks. So you just wear your like you know hiking wool socks. Oh like you wow, wear... you take your shoes off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. ninja. They make like you know like fancy like stocking slippers kind of deal, but like <laughs> wow. I think wool socks are fine. So yeah, you're like got to get extra stealthy because their ears are they're so powerful and they're you got to just get everything. Yeah, you can't right. go clogging even, around in your bike shoes. Even you if know. you're even if the wind if, even if you're um what was it downwind you want to be up do you want to be upwind or downwind was it you want to be you want to be upwind. You want to be oh, upwind. Want, you, the wind has to be at your face. So right. If you ever feel the wind at your back, you're... Right. So they would yeah. he, even... Because usually wind helps carry sound. So even if the wind's blowing in your face, they oh, can yeah. still hear you. They're, like oh. I was on... I got in within uh, 55 yards on this one stock. And I was there for two hours. And these there was a big group of bucks. And... I was just waiting for them. I, I couldn't figure out how to get closer because I wasn't really comfortable shooting like 60 yards because I had literally just started shooting that spring. And so I was like, I feel more comfortable at 40. So I was trying to figure out how to get there, but there just wasn't the opportunity. So I just was like kind of hoping that they would get up to feed and I would get a shot, you know, and then sitting there for like two and a half hours, you get all clammy and you just like, my I just made this little noise with my arrow, like it hit my bow and made a little noise, and all of a sudden they popped up, and Jeez. and they're just alert, you know, and I was like I wasn't comfortable shooting that far at that time. Um, the next weekend I was, but <laughs> yeah, but that time I wasn't. So, so it's like I I I, I kind of I don't know compare archery hunting in a mountain bike sense to like single speeding. It's like hardcore and it's next level. It's single speeding without a chain. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> like it's more or, primal, you know, it's like, yeah. It, like, where it's just like, it's, um, like muscle bike to e-bike, you know? Right. And then like rifle hunting from a vehicle is like riding an e-bike with a beer in your hand or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause with rifle hunting from a car, I mean, a lot of, from a, a friend of mine told me like a lot of people, they just drive around either in their truck or in their side by side and mm-hmm. have a rifle and hope they see something and then shoot at it. It's like, yeah, probably some, some people still though do. Is that like 75% of hunters? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've just got into it, but I mean, you see a lot of people just riding their, driving their side by sides or their quads or yeah. their vehicles, which in the, in the winter, uh, if there's snow on the ground, then that's, I mean, they're doing it because they found success before, you right, know? Right, um, right, right. When there's snow in the, in the high country, then the, the deer have to move down to migration ground. So um, they will be moving into roads and, you know, lower country where there are roads. But, um, yeah, the higher you get and the further away from roads, the, you know, the higher chance you have to finding success. Yeah, we, um, in 2016, when we first rode the Toyabi Crest Trail, um, well, I first rode it, the guys I rode with it, they had done it previously, but we drove up to the wilderness boundary at Arc Dome Wilderness on Ofer Pass. It's like 10,000 ish feet. And there was a truck 
parked up there. We couldn't believe it because we hadn't seen a vehicle in hours, you know. And so there's this like Dodge pickup parked up there. And we're like, hmm, who's parked up here? And we're offloading our bikes and we're getting ready to ride. And these two guys, they must, they looked like they were formal, former special ops military. Like these guys were gnarly looking, like shaved heads, like totally buff, like just ripped, you know. And they had all their hunting gear and and they came walking up to their truck and and we're looking at them and they're looking at us and we're like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're archery hunting, you know? We're like, how long, you were you out in the wilderness? And they're like, yeah, we were out in the wilderness for like a week. Now we're resupplying at the truck and we're going to head north uh, for another week. It's just like, oh my God. And then they're like, what are you doing? And we're like, we're going to ride the Toyabi Crest Trail to Kingston. And they looked at us like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So there's like this mutual respect, you know, yeah. between the two groups, like you're awesome. No, you're awesome. And so there's that, I think that kinship and, and, and it's, and it all boils down to adventure. I feel like there's yeah. just this being one with the, with the environment out in the wild. And do you, I mean, as a, as you've gotten, especially into archery hunting, have you learned what have you learned that you didn't previously maybe realize about being in the wild? I don't know. I mean, just, just the fact of the struggle of reality, if you really need to put food on your table, you know, yeah. and, um, it kind of puts life into perspective, you yeah. know, cause that's what, I mean, that's how we got here. Cause our ancestors and, you know, they were, they hunted to survive, you know, and yeah. the Native Americans and right, right there on those same mountains, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, yeah, just, I don't know, just, you are more connected to mother nature on a different level. Yeah. It just felt primal. I don't know. Yeah. It brings you back to primal. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm picking up on. Yeah. It brings you back to primal. Yeah. Primal senses. And in a, yeah. And we have these like fancy high tech bows, you know, but there's people out there that are shooting like, you know, traditional stick and string bows that are really getting primal. Wow. Yeah. That's the single speeder of hunting. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> On like a rigid steel bike with no dropper poster. Yeah. It suspension. just <laughs> kind of teaches you to re you respect your, your, yeah. your food sources and yeah, that kind of deal. Like, and yeah. to where it comes from too. And then you have a, you start eating all this, this high quality meat that you know exactly where it came from. You know where the water that that animal was drinking out of. And then you want to go to the store and you're like, oh, I don't know where this thing got scraped off some kind of freaking, <laughs> you know, yeah. giant table or whatever. I don't know. The floor. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows where this was came from? So totally. Yeah. It's definitely rewarding in that sense. Yeah. Our friend Matt Francis, um, who is a hardcore hunter, his whole family, his wife and two boys, they all hunt. And, uh, man, whenever we go to Kingston, cause they have a place out in Kingston, you know, he's always serving up like I got elk I got, steaks, yeah, elk steaks or bighorn cheap sausage or oh, just wow. like, Oh my God. Like I never ever say no to <laughs> any kind of offer like that. Like that's the, that's one of the highlights of the trip is, you know, having, or he, he makes, um, um, chucker pie oh, well so good he loves chucker hunting which is interesting is like he we were gonna go on uh we were going skiing and that one day he goes i think we're i'm gonna go chucker hunting with the dogs and i'm like seriously i mean it's a 
it's going to be like the last pow, good pow day for a while. Are you sure? And he goes, dude, there's something about going hunting with the dogs that is just amazing. Is there's this connection that you have with your two dogs, and you know when they, you know, are on point and they identify, you know, where the birds are. It's just this incredible kinship between, you know, you and an animal and a couple animals and then, you know, and then them retrieving the birds after you shoot. Like, he's like, it's, it's amazing. I love it. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like, I'm not, I'm not much of a hunter. I don't think I ever will be, but I don't say never. <laughs> I just, I'm not good with like cutting up animals and blood and I'll guts and all that it. stuff. I just yeah. don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not a big, I'm not, I'm like. You'd I'll figure just, it out. So, yeah, it's you well, figure in, it out. So in well, so in Kingston, Ray, you know, who helped out with the trip, he was like, he was talking about last winter, how it was such a big winter, and he's like, I was the only one with game meat. I was eating like a you know a king all winter, and and I'm like, man, you must hunt a lot. He goes, no, I don't even hunt. I'm like, what? He goes, I just got a lot of friends who do, so I was barter with them. And I'm like, that's what I do. I do yeah. that same thing. I barter for them. I'll, I'll let them go for the hunt, and then I'll barter with them so I can get some good yeah. game, you know? But it, like, when I got into it, it was the same thing. Like, I didn't know anything, you know? And yeah. the the day, the night before I, I got my first uh, buck, I was literally, like, I watched a YouTube video on how to skin a, a deer, you know, it's just like, <laughs> you just got to, you know, yeah. learn along the way. You figure it out. My, yeah. my friend Corey just got into it last year as well. And he took his first year last year in, in the Big Sur wilderness. Oh, wow. And went deep for it. I think you, you know, people like you and, and Corey, you guys have like a, a little bit of a, a an edge up on some hunters because you're you're not afraid to go a little bit deeper or yeah. further. Right. You know, he's a he's an avid backcountry split porter, so he just went deep farther than anybody oh, else yeah. had gone and did some scoping and yeah. got himself a good buck. And yeah. I did the wild thing is, is that it took him like 16 hours to get all the meat out. That's and it's the like, tough part. And, he's, oh, yeah. and he yeah. was deep in cat country and, and, yeah. and I'm just like, well, I would not want to be, that's the hardest part of the hunt that far out and then lugging back 80 pounds or what, you know, I don't yeah. even know what he, but he, he pulled the whole thing out. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You it, like I've, um, both Matt Francis and, and Mark McDaniel, who are big mountain bikers and hunters, they've, and they're archery hunters and they've both bagged elk with a, with, you know, an archery setup. And they are just like, to get that Getting thing out. out of there is they've gotten to the point, Matt, Mark had this one like vision quest story about just like being in the woods for days, um, in, you know, like tr trying to figure out how to pack how out, to get this, it out. I don't know, 800 yeah, pound animal, especially like, in, uh, for most archery seasons are earlier in the summer. So it's not earlier in the summer, but in the season. So it's yeah. late summer and it's warmer temperatures. So, you know, you have uh, more of a risk for your meat to go bad. You have right, to really right. be diligent about meat care. Well, now he has, what they do is they carry a satellite phone with him and he has a contact in the region somewhere because they uh, hunt up in like the Jarbage wilderness area, mm -hmm. like North of Elko sometimes. And so they have a contact out there um, who is a meat processor and they have horses. And so he'll just like make the yeah. call and they'll, they'll come out and they'll haul it out for him. Either with horses or mules. A lot of people use mules yeah. too. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I'm intrigued. I, I I might try to do a, not this year, but in the following year, I'm 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 intrigued to jump on a hunt with Corey. 
I, I think I'd enjoy it. I just yeah. be like you, Marco was saying, like I'd be I'd be happy to be the spotter. I'll just spot and just watch just the come whole out thing and... go down and, and yeah. like you know give give intel, you know, watch from a distance and just see it just like develop. Just laugh at me when I blow the stock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll send you to flank. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. drive them, but yeah, go flush them into a skirt. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun just being out there and. It, the whole experience of it is, uh, yeah, it's fun. Well, so we're going to need to come to a close here, but, um, before we do related to hunting, um, you know, the, the title of our podcast is mind the track and it comes in many different shapes and forms, but in your, in your opinion, or like when you hear the term mind the track, especially taking into consideration all this, like talk, about mountain bike your upbringing in mountain biking and also the hunting hobby that you've gotten into these past few years when you hear the term mind the track like what comes to mind well mind the track would be i mean when it comes to mind would be kind of like when you're split boarding mm -hmm. and some people get anal about if you like break your own trail so you gotta mind the track be respectful you know mm -hmm. so maybe that relates to just like being respectful out in the mountains and, you know, kind of being one with the, the other people and just being on the same page. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, mind the track. It's just enjoy single track or just moving, moving your track through the mountains. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I like it. A nice PSA. Don't snowshoe in the skin line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. For, our, yeah, for our winter listeners. Don't sanitize the trail. Mind the track. Yeah, yeah don't. if it's, it's not your track, then don't be sanitizing it. Don't be moving rocks or making it easy. Yeah, don't. <laughs> no, but I like what you said about um, it's your own moving track. Yeah, you know, I just kind of thought of that in a different way. It's no, like, it's, it's that, that's kind of neat. And then, and it seems that like, how you have switched from being a mountain biker to, to going to hunting, you've sort of moved your own track yeah. in that sense, but you still enjoyed the outdoors in the same way and probably found new appreciation for it. So Absolutely. That's, that's, that's inspiring to hear. Yeah, yeah. man. So what's going on, um, for the rest of you, this, uh, rest of the season for you? Yeah. Uh, yeah we... So I, the, um, archery season, um, for Nevada's opening next next week, so yep. I'll be I'll be doing a little bit of that. I'll be doing um, chasing some some bucks out in the Toyabi, mm -hmm. and in between I'll do some enduro races. I'm planning to go out to uh, Snowmass for a Revolution enduro, mm -hmm. and then if I don't get one that first week, you know, just come back, do some more hunting, and then go to the next bike race. Do maybe a race up in Jackson Hole. Um, cool. Maybe do a little more hunting. And then there's a cool race in um, uh, Humboldt County, Mad River Enduro. Mm -hmm. One of the best uh, grassroots events in California or the, the huh. West Coast. Just well, pure community cool. and awesome trails and amazing people. And um, When's that? That's, uh, I think, the 9th of September. Okay. Yeah, that weekend um, up at the Hatchery Ridge Trails. Um and then I also have a Montana um, elk and mule deer tag, so I might try to go out for some um, elk hunting in the rut uh, with my brother. Nice. And then maybe do the U.S. Open um, mountain bike race. So, yeah, kind of just 
balancing adventure, mountain biking, hunting, mountain biking, hunting, and just try to finish the season strong and yeah, just try to enjoy it. Right on. Yeah. Well, good luck with the rest of the season. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I hope you get it. I hope you get some of those tags used and get on the podium. Yeah, that'd be awesome. The same kit. Yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah, like blood splatter. Yeah, I was just gonna say, dude, you you need to race on one of those. If you get a deer, you need to wear the the blood soaked. You don't think that would offend anybody? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, but it'll just get in their head and and exactly, and then you'll be like, "Oh, this guy's savage." Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes, it actually kind of stinks. Randy, (laughs) you know, did anybody has anybody ever called you Randy Savage? No, maybe once or twice. You know who Randy Savage is? Macho man. Yeah, he's like the the wrestler. Oh yeah, (laughs) slap into his lip, (laughs) jam. That's funny. It's funny you mentioned that. I almost pulled up a Randy Savage clip you? for a soundbite. Randy for you. Savage, yeah. dude. Oh, oh man. man, I got. I'll get you some Randy Savage socks to wear while you're racing. That'd be nice. <laughs> uh, Marco, where can people uh, yeah, catch up with out. you on social media? Uh, it's pretty much just Instagram, Marco Osborne ninety two. Um, yeah, I don't really use Facebook much, but yeah, Instagram, and then send it Randy as well if you want to. Yep. Check out you know, all the new clothing and just the, the adventures and the antics we can get up to. So cool. Yeah. I like it right on Marco. Well, we wish you the best of the rest of the season, both hunting and, and racing bikes. Um, until next time, get out there, get deep and put your mind in the track. <laughs> <laughs>